Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and hell bitch in orbit, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar from the dimension of unspeakable torment, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Spiral, the 20th episode of season five. Spiral aired on May 8th, 2001 and was written by Stephen S. DeKnight and directed by James A. Contner. As we hope you know, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. And we're definitely going to be talking about the Buffyverse as it exists outside the boundaries of the episode. So if you're spoiler sensitive, consider yourself warned. Buckle up, kids. Daddy's putting the hammer down. In Spiral, we open where we left off in tough love, with Glory standing in the space where the wall to Tara's room had been, staring at Buffy and Dawn as she realizes that Dawn is the key. Buffy and Dawn run. Tara and Willow run. Willow throws a little magical goop behind to slow Glory down, but it doesn't because Glory has super speed suddenly because fuck it, why not, right? (laughs) Glory finally catches up with Buffy and Dawn, but only moments before the stealthy, silent, impossible to detect, even at five paces, Mack truck mows her down. Last word, sleigh run. Just one. Truck. Glory turns into Ben, who goes back home to change out of the destroyed dress and contemplates the fact that if Glory gets to Dawn, then he ceases to exist. But if he gets to Dawn first, all he has to do is kill a kid, right? How hard can that be? At Xander's, Buffy decides they can't fight Glory. It's time to run. Everyone gathers their things and meets on the street where an RV pulls up, driven and presumably stolen by Spike. Buckle up, kids. Daddy's putting the hammer down. Meanwhile, the Knights of Byzantium are gearing up to bring down the full fury of their medieval times LARPing group on Buffy and her friends as Orlando spills the tea that the key is a shiny little girl. On the RV, Giles is now driving while everyone else hangs out. Dawn goes into the bedroom in the back to talk to Buffy, saying at least it can't get any crazier. And at that moment, an arrow comes flying into the RV. You know this is your fault for saying that. The LARPers attack the RV on horseback, wearing chainmail, shooting arrows, throwing spears, and stabbing a moving RV with swords. (laughs) Spike grabs a sword, sticking through the roof of the RV with his bare hands, because why the hell not? And Buffy rushes to the roof and fights the guy. Just when it seems like they've gotten the best of the LARPers, a spear flies through the windshield, impaling Giles. Because, sure, why not? They wander through the desert, wounded, with their second most powerful fighter under a blanket or he'll die, with not a single LARPer in sight until they find an abandoned gas station where they hole up for about five minutes before flaming arrows start flying into the place and they're surrounded by LARPers who, I guess, just waited patiently for them to acquire shelter before launching their attack. The general, who, as we know, is always the first to run into battle, gets inside. Buffy knocks him out cold, Willow gets the magical shields around the place, and the LARPers are kept out. But don't worry, the power of the patriarchy will save you! (laughs) Which is magic pales to the might of our god. The infidel's wall shall tumble before us. Buffy tries to talk to the general, but he can't hear sound at the frequency of a woman's voice. And let's face it, even if he could hear her, he wouldn't listen. I mean, come on. She's a woman and she's all, hey, why don't we think of a solution where you don't murder my little sister with her dumb woman logic? And how is he supposed to work with that, huh? So he just talks over her. The key is the link, the link must be severed, I didn't get this tattoo on my forehead for nothing, blah, blah, blah. But then Tara starts shouting from the other room and Buffy rushes out to try to calm her down. Buffy talks with Giles who lies on the counter slowly bleeding to death from his impalement. He tells her he's proud of her, and Buffy decides that she's not going to let him die, so she and Xander go out to the LARPers, and luckily Xander is able to talk to them in his man voice, which works at frequencies they can actually hear. This is war, isn't it? And if there's one thing I've learned from Sergeant Rock is in war, there are rules. Or at least there should be, if you're as honorable as you think you are. Buffy goes back inside and calls Ben, who rushes out to tend to Giles. He says he has to get Giles to a hospital. In the back room, Spike suggests to Xander that they make a run for it to Ben's car, and at least a few of them might survive. But Buffy says no. 
Spike and Xander leave, and Buffy talks with General Exposition, who explains that Gloria is sharing a body with a human. Dawn comes in and asks about the key. The General says the key will open the gates between all dimensions. The universe will fall into chaos and darkness. Dimensions will bleed into each other. Order will be overthrown, and the universe will tumble into chaos. All dark. Forever. That is what you were created for. The General tries to talk Ben into killing Dawn, which Ben already kind of wants to do. We get a nice little fake out when Ben steps up behind Dawn with a syringe, but then he just injects Giles. And then Ben starts to turn. He screams to be let out, but it's too late. He turns into Glory. She kills Gregor by tossing a hubcap into his sternum, then grabs Dawn and rushes out with her. She punches through Willow's barrier, but it blocks Buffy from getting out. Willow drops the barrier and they rush out, but Glory is gone and all the LARPers are dead. Buffy falls to the ground, defeated. Buffy, you have to get up. We need you. Buffy, please. Buffy. All right, Noelle. So um, here's the thing. We usually start out every episode of Still Pretty with me asking you how you felt about an episode. <laughs> but uh, if, if anybody couldn't tell by the snarky way in which I wrote this week's summary, uh, I have feelings about this episode and almost none of them are positive. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time for anybody who loves this episode because there are parts of it that I really like. But for the most part, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of terrible. So how do you feel about well, it? This is clearly set up to be an important episode with important information, mm-hmm. but I am so confused. I am just more <laughs> confused. This is the episode where we finally kind of sort of get some explanation as to what uh-huh. the hell is going on with Glory, the Knights, the Key, and so on. And I am yeah. so much more confused than when we started. <laughs> like, yes. Because the episode raises many more questions for me at least than it answers and i'm left Mm -hmm. with a general feeling of wait what the hell just happened (laughs) everything about who glory is who the key is Uh and how it works who the knights are and their role in all of this really should have been incorporated into the episodes leading up to this one like if we had been planting these seeds and leaving these breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. all along i think we would have arrived at this point really feeling the weight of what's about to go down and the consequences if Glory gets a hold of Dawn, which she does by the end of this episode, instead of this general, like, confusion and chaos and tomfoolery and shenanigans. And I'm done. I I have no idea. What? (laughs) What? What? It's a bad freaking episode. We've got this opening, which started with the ridiculous ripping off of the wall from the last episode, and it only gets worse. We have Glory just standing there staring at them, right? Then Buffy and Dawn run, and now Glory has super speed. She's the new Flash now, I guess. Like, we haven't seen this before, but she just moves so incredibly fast. She has whatever powers we need in the moment, but then it never... Like, it never shows up before, and then it never matters after. It's just... No! Here we go. This is what's going to happen. It's nuts. And then we have Buffy picking up. Like, for some reason, they're running, and Dawn's like, I can't run anymore. And then Buffy picks up this ridiculous fucking Dawn doll and runs, (laughs) and it looks... Why have her pick up Dawn if you're going to make it look that bad? And why have her pick up Dawn anyway? Because it slows her down. It doesn't matter that she slows down. She's being chased by the Flash. It doesn't matter how fast (laughs) Buffy is. We know she's not super speedy fast, so there's no reason for her to pick up Dawn. And then we have this moment where Glory gets randomly hit by a truck as though she has all the powers of a god but no environmental awareness are you serious? It's a side effect of living in Sunnydale. You have no peripheral vision. No peripheral vision at all, right? And then we get into the RV, which is, you know, fine. Like, I could very much live without Xander's constant motion sickness. Oh, God. Because the Seconded. last thing I need is that heaving, that, like, dry heaving all the way through. That is gross. And as an empath, it makes me feel like I want to throw up. So knock it off. Nobody needs that. It doesn't serve any narrative purpose. It would have been fine without it. Then... They're being chased 
by medieval knights and let's just talk about that ridiculousness for a little bit like I wasn't a fan of this whole thing earlier in the season when there were three of them I'm less of a fan now that there's like 150 it's southern California and I get the chain mail you know like it breathes right whatever like it's medieval cotton but still and the face tattoos what you guys never have to go to target why are you why are you getting face tattoos like i understand the commitment of your order that you've got to like you know find the key but this has been hundreds of generations trying to you know find the key and failing you would think that these guys eventually would be like you know what we got a, most of our lives we are not finding the key that is actively what we're not doing for most of the time that we're part of this group right so they got to do other stuff they got to go to the 7 Eleven. They got to get gas. They got to interact in society. They got to have regular day jobs because who's going to fund all the chain mail? So, like, <laughs> why are you tattooing your face? I mean, I, uh... nope, nope. Right? Okay. Spears, arrows, horses. It's two thousand and one. The highest speed ever recorded for a racehorse is forty-four miles per hour. That's with a hundred-pound jockey on its back, not some guy with four hundred pounds of chainmail. And these are not racehorses. I don't know anything about horses. I just I'm I'm figuring these are not racehorses because there aren't just like a lot of those lying around for these guys to pick up. Um, and yes, Giles complained about how slow the RV was going, but still he's getting clocked by horses carrying four hundred pounds of chainmail and dude. And like, where are they? hiding these horses like where where okay i mean (laughs) that they got the horses not only that they went and got the horses and then managed to somehow track this rv in the middle of the desert and not only that but like overcome it the rv had to be moving at 10 to 15 miles an hour for this to be even remotely i i took you know high school math i know that if an rv is going north at 45 miles an hour and then 150 horses with 400 pounds of man and chain mail on them are coming at them after you know like 20 minutes after the rv leaves sunnydale then in order for them to overtake them how fast they have to be going like 150 miles an hour it's just not it's ridiculous it's ridiculous the whole thing is stupid (laughs) well and they could have they could have done something with the Knights of Benadryl to make them, right. like, magical, but they're not. This is, okay. But, well, yeah. This is the thing. If they had right. some kind of magical abilities. They're, they are clearly, like, they're clearly magic adjacent, right? Because, because they have Dante's clerics. Like, clerics. Right. And, like, these two dudes just... Show They're up. They're D&D players. This is it's, not... It's ridiculous. Which, like, okay, but are they... It seems to me like the show wants the knights to be humans, but also mm-hmm. just be able to, like, magically poof into whatever space they need them. Right. But only for this episode. Like... Um, yeah, Gregor tells Buffy, he's like, he's like, yeah, we we said we were going to come after you. And she literally says, like, took you long enough. <laughs> took, I mean, for serious. And I'm like, like, this same. whole thing is insane. Then they're holed up in this gas station, which is a part of this that I hated the least. You know, there's all these <laughs> fucking men saying that Willow's girl magic can't stand up to the will of their God. And I'm like, oh, shut up. And then Orlando's brain is magically altered. Clearly, he wouldn't want to live. And he's already told us that the key is a little girl. So he's like used his, you know, usefulness. Right. So Dante is like the beast may have taken your mind, but I swear to you, she will never know the taste of your heart. Like whatever, whatever. And then they kill their buddy. Right. And OK, that moment, like mm-hmm. that moment, so confusing to me. Because why it's played as like this mercy killing, right? That like yeah. Dante is not gonna let the beast get his friend. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But Glory isn't there. It's not and Glory's like, not coming for Orlando. Like, I don't I don't get it. And then like why so they take him out of the hearts. hospital. They take him out of the hospital why? because like no soldier left behind or whatever. What 
what is their plan? Because if for he's him? gonna die, we're going to kill him. What is this? This is nonsense. None of it makes any sense at all. It's all unbelievably stupid. And then they end up getting the general, you know, and the general is always the one who rushes in first with the infantry, right? Totally. So like the general, like that's how this works. That's never how that works. Um, so they've got the general. They call for Ben to help Giles. And I actually like that turn. Like, I like that. Ben's a medical professional. He's a friend. They don't know that he's also the other half of glory. You know, but at this point, they've worn out my patience so much <laughs> that even though Ben calling Ben in and having that turn where Ben turns into glory and then that's how glory gets done. Like, I actually think that that's a good turn. I like that narrative turn. But at this point, like, I am so sick of Ben oh, and God, ben. his bullshit because he's terrible. I mean, like, the acting is terrible. The dialogue he gets is terrible. Everything with Ben is just dreadful so like having him there and it's a good moment but i still like because i have no patience for ben i'm done i'm like whatever well you know? again with the breadcrumbs all along like you yes. could have made ben ben vexes me because ben did not have to be terrible i think no, he ben's really didn't. story is really ben compelling. could have been sympathetic yes especially now what the hell right. like what the hell when when Gregor tells the whole like the the human infant connection to the to glory I'm like whoa 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 wait so yeah this was Ben's whole life which I guess we yeah. had sort of suggested up to this point but this was Ben's whole life right. how the hell did Ben figure any of this out like how well, I don't what? even and when did Glory start like breaking through? Did she not start breaking through? Because because the general when he was explaining it was like you know she just started getting more power and breaking through and now we're moving up to the key so blah blah blah, but I mean this whole thing though with Ben is just so terrible. Like the scene with the minion in the beginning is awful. The dialogue is terrible. The acting <laughs> is so bad. Um, and we don't even take a moment of this justification where you could actually sympathize for Ben if he's like okay look I let Glory do her thing she gets the key she destroys the world and i'm obliterated or if i can work myself up to kill one little girl i can save everybody if you get him in this philosophical space where he's trying to do this you know this number counting idea of of you know philosophical idea of like right. the maximum good the utilitarian like the way the faith did right when faith killed alan she was like hey i figure in the numbers we've saved yeah. more people than we've killed so we're all right that yep. is a very interesting and crunchy philosophical i mean like very faulty philosophical space but it's a space you could see Ben going into to humanly justify what would be a terrible thing, right? But we don't ever get that. He's just like, well, she wins. I cease to exist. But if I can kill this girl and then the the minion's like, but could you do that? Could you kill a little girl? You know, oh and nobody's, nobody's framing it in a way that actually would be philosophically interesting discussion to have. I mean, you know. And of course, it's our first feminine voiced minion who goes all Lady Macbeth on Ben. You know, it was never really your life anyway. Just kill a human, blah, blah, blah. Like, of course, it's like meet a lady minion. And then she's a the seamstress and exactly. B the one who's like tempting Ben over to the dark side. Delivering the poisoned apple. The one please. who's the serpent. Like this, it's a it's a very misogynistic role for this woman to be in, right? In but that like, moment. But like, of course you know? it's a girl minion. Like, Of course, the only girl minion we've had, right? This is the level of like, misogyny that we're dealing with. That like, the one who has to be all like, well, you could come over to the dark side is... You well, know. she puts it in his head. Could yeah. you do that? Could you kill a little girl? You know, like, no, he should be the one grappling with this because the way he's looking at it, like if he looks at it pragmatically, he can almost convince himself that he can do a very bad thing for the ultimate good. Right. Because then it won't destroy the world and right. bring all the worlds into if darkness it's... and like how many people are going to suffer. And Dawn's going to die anyway. Right. If, if Glory gets her way. If right. It's, if it's the difference between killing a little girl who is arguably not actually a little girl and saving the world or letting all right. of the dimensions apparently bleed into one another and everything is darkness and hellscape forever yes um 
Yeah. Like, I could see, I could see Killing Dawn. We can forgive Ben for pondering that question, but they don't give him anything even remotely. He just sits there and whines about this whole thing and doesn't, (gasps) doesn't like actually go into the space where he's making the argument for how he could, you know, kill this kid. I mean, I yeah, it would still be wrong. I mean, it would it would be the fault. Like, what would be so much more interesting is if Ben was actually a good man who was in the middle of a fall, you know, because his existence was about to be wiped out and he's trying to justify the one thing that he can do to save himself, right? Well, and it's such a great parallel with Dawn, too. Like, if it's like, well, yeah. my body was never really my body at all and my existence was never really my existence... It's a nice, he could be a nice foil to Dawn and the whole like, I'm not even really real anyway, am I? Mm -hmm. So what is the point of any of this? That would be great. And they could give him some interesting, crunchy stuff to do. You could have that parallel running all season long so that when you get to this moment that I just roll my eyes at so hard when Ben's Mm -hmm. coming up behind Dawn and he has the syringe and is he going to do it? And then, no, he just injects Giles. Like, (laughs) it could have been it could have been really interesting and really meaningful Mm -hmm. having Ben a be one of the first to find out that Dawn right. is the key. And yeah. then have Ben have this opportunity to just end it all, just kill Dawn and, yeah. you know, end the whole thing. But they don't do that at all. We get... And this, they just fake us out as it, though he's not struggling like with that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's because he's not struggling with that at all because whatever he's injecting Giles with is clearly meant to make Giles feel better. So even if he had injected Dawn with it, it wasn't going to kill her. So what's the what's the point? We're just like, we're doing this so that we freak us out so that the audience is wigged out. Like, oh my God, he's going to kill Dawn. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's nonsense. It's unearned tension. It's it is. Because this is all, I mean, more or less, this is all mm-hmm. new, this episode. We yeah. mm-hmm. realized, oh shit, we gotta like explain all of the the tension and drama that's happening mm-hmm. among Glory and Ben and the Knights and Buffy and right. Dawn. We've gotta like we we need to wrap this up into a high stakes kind of a you know showdown at the right. Texaco Corral. At it's like Texaco there's Corral. gotta be like like i get it i get wanting to wanting to raise the stakes and Mm -hmm. you know build the drama in that way but it's new this episode and there's just not enough time it feels thrown together it feels out Mm -hmm. of left field i mean and not just because we have you know the like entire LARPing community of Southern California. Like, oh, and I'm not mocking LARPers. <laughs> I think LARPers are cool. Like LARPers are fun and people that play D&D, I am totally and completely oh, in rad, it. But what like- I don't like is when we use that kind of you know, like that's what these these guys are playing in this fantasy space when they're supposed to be real, actual, legitimate threats. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. It's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be scary that it all comes out right. of nowhere, but it just feels contrived. It is incredibly contrived. And here we have this wonderful, like, you know, this this uh, heightened tension with Giles. Giles is clearly seriously injured. He could die. And we have mm-hmm. this wonderful moment with him and Buffy, which I think is really like ordinarily, I think I would be completely touched by this whole interaction with him oh, and yeah. Buffy. But because of the ridiculousness, I can't even handle it. But I mean, like, you know, he could he could die. Yeah. Well, in that scene, I mean, that's like uh-huh. Lonnie Catnip right there. Yeah, that's right. the whole, like, mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it really is for me, it's the most striking thing about this entire episode is the mm-hmm. apparent very real possibility that we will lose Giles. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're Which used is a to big putting... effing deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because we are used to putting folks at the core like in the core cast Mm -hmm. Buffy's friends get in seriously dangerous scary situations because that makes the story interesting that tells us about the kind of heroes that Mm -hmm. everyone is and it gives Buffy a little extra drama every week which you know that's great yeah that's always fun 
but prior to, I think, the end of this season, it never had this sense of permanence. Yeah. Like part of, and you know, part of that is the continuity. People who were injured a week or two ago are still injured. Yeah. They I mean, stay Spike injured. still has, his eyes are still bruised. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of that, of course, is Joyce's death. I mean, she's really yeah. gone and she's not coming back, not even mm-hmm. magically. Yeah. So yeah. when someone is sick or hurt now, we can't count on it being fixed. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tara yeah. could be completely dependent on Willow and the others forever. We don't have any mm-hmm. leads on getting her back to her pre-glory functioning. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Spike seems to have healed up some from having been tortured. But then he goes and he grabs the sword and With is immediately out What of- is he doing? He's I mean, that's yeah. actually great. That that yeah. moment is really, really great. Um, but it puts him out of commission again. Yeah. You know, it yeah. like effectively presses reset on having a powerful spike to, you exactly. know, maybe help in all of this. And I mean, and even a full power spike has a chip in his head. Mm-hmm. So Right, you know, exactly. So he can't fight the LARPers. Right. But like But then Giles gets this spear to the side and that's it. He's effectively mm-hmm. out of the episode and yeah. we cannot feel confident anymore that he's right. going to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Giles's speech to Buffy even suggests that he thinks he might die. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. everything a watcher, yeah. everything I could have hoped for. And you can just hear the like in a right. daughter subtext. Like, uh, yes. It's, no, it's, it's so, wonderful. so there. Like it's it's Lonnie catnip. It really is. I'm it like, is. It is. I mean, it's love story, right? Yep. Like the love stories are the things that I come here for. And the Giles and Buffy love story is so central to like all of this, this whole run of Buffy. It is such a huge part of it. And the idea of him in this role as her father. I love that stuff. That is ordinarily the stuff that I am so signed up for. And by the time we got there, my <laughs> eyes were rolling so goddamn hard that I was like, whatever, whatever. Here we have Anthony Stewart head doing his death scene, right? Which is a big goddamn deal in this. And I'm just, whatever, it's fine. Like, I can't even with this. And then we call Ben in. And the yeah. Ben thing also. The Ben thing is actually a really good narrative turn. Of course, they're going to call Ben. He's somebody they know. He's in the medical industry. Ben should have been tending to their injuries before this so that we could seed this comfort with Ben being there, you know. Um, but, you know, here we have this moment and it's great. It's actually narratively good. It's a good moment when it turns to, to glory. And I don't care at that point although i do like when glory's like hey there's gregor and then tosses the the hubcap into him and like now he's gone you know it's just it's so it's so nice (laughs) glory i mean she's she's a delight i love seeing glory always pretty Mm -hmm. much always yes um even Mm -hmm. when she's doing like ridiculous ridiculous shit but yeah, it's right. Well, aside from the speed running and the fact that she cannot tell a Mack truck is coming at her. I mean, yeah. And if you wanted to explain that, like they I still I still don't understand how the Glory Ben thing works because she hits the mm-hmm. car and then she starts, you know, she's like grabbing her head and she's like, not now, you idiot. Like, it's clear that Ben and Glory are fighting for control of this body. Yeah. But that's never really explained. You know, like there's no. like, and what chance does Ben stand against a god? Well, I, I mean, I guess like Gregor uh, says that she has to use all of her energy to to maintain the body to get control of the body, and so when she runs out of energy and landing on a car after being hit by a truck, I guess would take a lot of energy, right? You know, yeah. um, that that's the point where Ben comes back, and because her energy has been growing lately, Ben is getting less real estate in his own life. Like, you know, I get that. I think that there's so much good stuff we could have done with that, aside from the fact that oh, isn't it funny to see Ben in a dress? Like, oh that's what we do with this. Instead of these deep psychological and philosophical questions that we can ask about Ben's existence and how resentful he would feel over having to share that with somebody else, you know, um, there's so much interesting stuff that could be done with Ben. And yet it's not. And it's just like all of that is so, 
so bad that it almost like as much as I enjoy Glory, it it like really kind of takes some of the sheen off of Glory for me because the Ben part is so freaking bad. Well, and um, I just want yeah. more like if you're going to do the Glory and Ben thing, which I think is great and I actually yeah. really love like do it more like really do yeah. it. Give us give us metaphysical fight club. Give yeah, us like exactly, you know, I like, mean, my God, yeah. come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's got to be some I mean, you know, there's so much interesting stuff that can be done in that space. And yet it's not. Um, and what I find, though, astounding in this is that even with as much as all of this episode, the stuff that I would ordinarily like, I cannot stand. I still love Spike. I love Spike through the whole thing. I love the goggles. I love Daddy's putting the hammer down. I love when he tells Dawn they should have gotten a faster car with just him, Dawn, and Buffy, and That's... he could have gotten them out. I mean, so he's just so there to I protect love... Dawn. I love that detail because it is so sweet mm-hmm. and yeah. also so heartless. <laughs> like at the same it time, is. It's at like the same time. Just right there in front of everybody who's like, yeah, it should just be... You, it me, and just Big been Sis, us. and everyone else. Right. Like, I would have gotten you out of here. It's exactly. Like, I don't care about these people enough. Fuck exactly. all y'all. But also, yeah, but like, he's, he's all about the goal, though. The goal is to protect Dawn. He is there to protect yeah. Dawn, and I kind of love that. It's, I mean, it it's Spike in a nutshell. It's so good. The, you're, I'm yeah. with you 100%. The it's Spike stuff is great. classic Spike. Oh, my God. When Tara opens the the blinds and gets the sunlight on him and he is so kind to yeah. her and he says it's okay you can play peekaboo with the sunshine as long as you want i'm fine it stopped smoking like it's so incredibly sweet and then i see a vampire you know a vampire with a soul is one thing right you know but a vampire without a soul but with real empathy like, how does that happen? Because this isn't just an extension of his love for Buffy that spreads out to her friends. I mean, let's not forget five minutes ago, he was going to go with Dawn and leave Tara, Willow, Xander and Giles right. to fuck all off. Right. But he's in this moment. He sees Tara's vulnerability and he responds to it with kindness. And I find that so fascinating. I love it. He's got a soft spot for the the. I don't want to say helpless, but like, yeah, the less powerful. It's really interesting. It is. And it's in it these tiny moments. It's in these tiny moments of him being so kind to Tara after she's when like, it's not necessary. Buffy's yeah. not even there. He's not trying to impress Buffy. Like, this is the thing. It's just it's and it's his it's his natural. This is how he responds. Tell her it's OK. It's fine. My hand stopped smoking. Like he is caring about her and her experience in that moment, which I absolutely love. I love when Willow magically fixes the phone and he's like, handier than a Swiss knife. Look, the door to my crypt has a nasty squeak. Oh my God. <laughs> I oh my God. And Willow just looks at him and walks away. She has no time for this nonsense. I love that. I love it. <laughs> It's so cute. Um, And when Xander goes into the back room with Spike and lights his cigarette for him because Spike can't because his hands are so injured and then they have this moment of connection between them. Oh, my God. I love that. It's it's real cute. It's real, real cute. Oh, God. I love it. The bromance between Xander and Spike is. Yes. Possibly. I mean. It's pretty great. It's it is. pretty great. It is. Lighting it's someone's really cigarette stuff. for them is like pre, like, we gon' fuck, yeah. though. Like, that's... <laughs> like that, it's I a mean, just sexy in, thing, I'm, right? Yeah. Just in movie shorthand. I'm speaking... Well, that's how men used to pick up women in those movies before the 90s, right? right? You know, he would go into the bar and he would light her cigarette for her. And it looks, I mean... Smoking's bad. Kids don't do it. But like, it looks right. cool, doesn't it? It does. Look you just cool. lean it over, all, really and cool. he's <laughs> poor Spike is so pathetic too with his two bandaged hands oh, when he's no. like fumbling with his and lighter he can't and even like, light his cigarette. Aww. Oh, poor God, little vampire! It's a poor little baby vampire. Poor little vulnerable vampire. I love it. It's but so then they sweet. do have this kind of like, like fighting slash bonding moment. Yeah. And it's great. It's really good. They're having a real conversation and it's really nice. And Spike is confiding in Xander. 
and saying, what we need to do is get out. Not all of us are going to survive, but we got to get, you know, mm-hmm. and I kind of, I kind of love, you know, his like commitment to this is that he is going to die protecting this kid. Um, I love that. I think that that's just, it's all so good because he's a vampire. It's nighttime. He can be like, fuck all y'all and yeah. just bugger off Bye. like at any moment. But he's so, he's so committed to being part of this, this whole team, you know, and I, I love that. And then we get into Buffy's collapse at the end, which honestly, I really do love. Buffy falls to her knees. She's completely defeated in the midst of a pile of dead bodies. And where we end in this episode, I'm like, all right, you got me back. Because, oh, my God, yep. that feeling of defeat and of I just give up. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's so wonderful. Well, yeah. And she said, you know, her her big struggle has been it just keeps coming. Yes. Lori, Riley, Tara, mom. Like, yeah. she's she is so on the edge of defeat. The whole episode she's worn out and then she yeah. comes out and it's just, you know, she's done everything mm-hmm. to up until this point, really avoid death becoming the yeah. the thing that follows her around. I mean, she's been mm-hmm. grappling with that a little bit this season, probably more this season than previously. But mm-hmm. here, you know, here are all of these knights mm-hmm. who are we're we're still pretty sure they're human right like this is dead humans and that Mm -hmm. for buffy is a different landscape that sounded like wordplay that i didn't mean to make but like all Mm -hmm. of these dead suddenly suddenly we have dead humans in a Mm -hmm. big way and something about that again is like yeah uncharted territory yeah uh, yeah, that's a lot of dead people. And that's something that we don't really address. I mean, that's it's a big deal. Yeah, there are humans that we're going to kill everybody and Dawn included, you know, but they're still humans. And Buffy does kill some of them in the whole yeah. RV car chase, horse chase. Aim for the horsies. Yeah. Aim for the horsies. Yeah. But also, I mean, we see her hurl an axe into a man's chest. And I seem to remember there being like serious, you know, it was a serious moral conundrum when Faith stabbed Alan. But now Buffy is, and I get it, like they can't get Dawn. There's a self-defense argument. Well, and they can't get Dawn because the world will literally end. But right. also, uh, but still, yeah, it's a it's a tough... killing a lot of humans is is a tough thing. I mean, she could have knocked him off his horse, you know, with the axe instead of burying it in his chest. And it would have, you know, slowed him down enough. Right. I mean, yeah. And that's kind yeah. of, again, like one of those philosophical, you know, lines that we're not really going to go down we're not gonna talk about we're not gonna talk about i mean we know we've acknowledged that these people are human because when spike tries to hit them he gets a migraine that's right so we've acknowledged they that they are they're definitely humans they might that. be magical mm-hmm. humans but they're humans yeah right yeah so huh. it's uh so i find it it's just it's so it's it's interesting we have so many like really interesting really crunchy philosophical like arguments to be made here and to be addressed that they just don't they're just like, mm-hmm. nope. And then that's it. Um, and I find that really interesting. One of the things, though, that like I was thinking about with regard to this episode, and I'm about to like pose a lot of questions, but I don't think I have any answers because I don't think textually any of this was deliberate. I think it just sort of happened. Um, I think a lot of it is due to terroir, but I find it I find it really, really interesting. Um Okay, you know, just to warn everybody, we talk a lot about patriarchy with regard to Buffy because there is a lot of that in Buffy with the Watcher's Council, which is predominantly men, all men, when they raped Sinea, the first slayer, and the essence of demons to imbue her with power, right? You know, um, like you do. <laughs> as you do, right. I mean, it, this is oh, very patriarchal. Yeah. The monks who put this power of the key into a little girl, all men, the Knights of Byzantium who come out to kill this little girl, Men. Uh, Glory's ultimate power is contained by what? The body of a man. And Glory's victims, with the exception of Terra, all men. So what does this mean? 
Um, we have this kind of separation of masculine and feminine power. Then we have Willow, right, who is the most powerful of all. She's the only one who can hold back the knights. She's the only one who can even put a pause button on glory, right? Mm -hmm. And her power is decidedly feminine. Like, witches are almost exclusively women in the Buffyverse, uh, with the exception of, like, Michael, the kid who was part of the witch group in Gingerbread, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of another man in the history of Buffy who was a witch. And, I mean, there was Rack. And there, but but was Rack considered a witch? Was that witch power? I'm not really sure. Um, so the Buffy has men working with her, like Xander and Giles, but they're pretty much mundane. Giles has some magical background, but he was, you know, way outpaced by Willow almost immediately, and is really there for research and knowledge purposes. Right at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so within Buffy's world, the women are super, super powerful. Buffy is super powerful. You know, Willow's super powerful. Terrace, also powerful. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Dawn has all of this power imbued in her, but apparently none of which she can actually access because she's just a helpless little girl. Right. Um, I find it all really interesting. And then we have Spike with his vampire power. Right. But vampires are kind of the only like power group that is men and women um not quite i think we see more male uh vampires throughout the run like the 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 vampires that were killing in the opening sequence you know or whatever yeah, they more men certainly the disposable like vamp of the week like we open in a graveyard a and buffy is fighting vampires they're usually they usually appear to be male. Yeah. Right. But we have Sunday from the the freshman, the first episode of season four. She had her whole crew. There were women in there. Darla, Drusilla. So we have like powerful harmony. We have powerful mm-hmm. women vampires that we see. I think more than any other power group in Buffy, we have more gender mixing within vampires than we do in any of the other groups. Right. Um, so I, I find this all really interesting that we sort of have this very different take on masculine power and feminine power where for the most part it seems like masculine power is highly aggressive and feminine power tends to be more protective um like buffy for instance right as soon as angel has a soul she doesn't kill him he's murdered like just so many people. I mean, he's left a trail of bodies behind him. But as soon as he has a soul and he's not going to hurt anybody anymore, she's hands off. As soon as Spike has a chip and he's not going to hurt anybody anymore, shouldn't kill him. Right. Um, so Buffy is always about preventing disaster, preventing harm, but not about punishment and not about vengeance. Right. It's protective mm-hmm. in nature. Right. Willow's throwing up barriers. Right. She's not lighting all the nights of Byzantium on fire. She's putting up barriers. She does protective spells. She locks Spike out of the house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like I'm finding this, I see a division between male and female power, but I'm not really sure if it, if there's a, a, an actual thesis to be drawn based on the text. I mean, I think that some of that is probably, as you say, about terroir and the writer's Mm -hmm. room and what ideas like we as individual creators have about Mm -hmm. like what does it mean for a masculine person to be strong or powerful Mm -hmm. versus what does it mean for a feminine person to be strong or powerful um you know and of course we're working like within the binary because of course we are because that's the Mm -hmm. only way that you know that is that is how we tend to deal in um you know, in our media, <laughs> because oh, absolutely. we're kind of narrow-minded that way. But, but really, I think there's a lot there. I think there's a lot there about who is writing the show, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. more than any sort of deliberate. Let's make a statement about what it means for women to be powerful versus what mm-hmm. it means for men to be powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think there's anything deliberate here. <laughs> no. Like even I mean Glory is our first feminine mm-hmm. big bad. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. And she is hyper feminine. I mean she yeah. is vampy in a mm-hmm. um femme fatale sort of way. Yes. And she mm-hmm. mixes this kind of flirty sexuality with real physical violence 
And mm-hmm. that, I think, is supposed to, you know, that's supposed to mix up with all of the flavor notes of our culture and our right. storytelling and make us go, whoa, she's serious business. Mm-hmm. Um, she's serious evil business. Evil business. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it is, I think it is interesting and noteworthy that there's a, that the, there is a protective kind of thesis over Buffy and Willow and Tara Mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the women in the core group in terms of Mm -hmm. how their power works. I mean, Mm -hmm. Tara, even Tara, when she's, you know, when she is practicing magic, you know, briefly as like self-protection, it's always, um, you know, she's making barriers or she's putting up, you know, Mm -hmm. is it Oz who's chasing her and she puts up like a smoke screen and then hides? She's it's defensive. It's not offensive. Right. Well, when she did the... The worst, um, I think, spell that Tara did was the one where they couldn't see demons, right? Mm-hmm. And it was about protecting herself so that they couldn't see the demon part of her, mm-hmm. you know, without thinking about the the inevitable consequences of that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 really it's super interesting. It also seems like there are no lines that male power won't cross, right? You know, rape, killing children. We have Ethan Rain's various forms of chaos, you know, mm-hmm. that he comes in and throws around. And feminine power is expected to adhere to ethical rules, like Tara's resistance when Dawn wants to raise Joyce from the dead, but Spike will help, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Willow's ethical response to power is pretty shaky, right? And only gets worse as we go. And Amy, too, seems to be of the, why shouldn't we use power the way men use power? Like, mm-hmm. But it is there. It does seem to be a line drawn between the application um, of the way that men apply power and the way that women apply power. And again, I don't think it's I don't think they're saying a thing, but I think I they're think saying so a thing. You know? Well, no, but our stories, our stories reflect us back at us. Right. So whether or not the writers are deliberately doing something, this is something that textually I think there's evidence that there is a different way in which we uh, in the Buffyverse see male power and feminine power. And I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of like everything is so freaking binary. I mean, it's so binary that we can't allow Willow to be bisexual. Right. Right. She has to be super less. She has flipped a switch and now she is lesbian. Like we we have to have a box. Everybody in Buffy is in a very, very clearly labeled, you know, gender and sexuality box. Um, And that's just the material that we're working with, you know. Um, But that presumption about how male power is applied, how how female power is applied, Uh, female power has ethical restrictions on it. And male power does not seem to have that. That's a really, really interesting distinction. And I'm like racking my brain for examples within the show that like don't fall in line with that. And I think, I mean, isn't that, isn't that our struggle with faith? Isn't that our Mm -hmm. struggle with glory? Isn't that our struggle with Willow when she... Starts in season to six, use... Willow and Amy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when we see them start to behave, when we see Willow and Amy, when Amy puts dancing, you know, half naked men in cages in the bronze, right? Magically. Right. Um, we look at that. And we're like, oh, no, that's super bad. That's super bad because these men are losing their dignity and their, you know, um, their ability to consent to this activity. And yet, you know, we have a bunch of these men raping Sinea with the essence of demons. Right. In order to create the Slayer, we have men that uh, put the Slayer through at the age of 18, uh, you know, a ritual in which she's almost certainly going to die. Um, because at 18, she's going to start to have power and start to think for herself and start to realize that this whole system is fucking bullshit, right? And fight back. <laughs> um, and God forbid a woman should use her power, you know, on her own terms. Um, but I find these, these ways in which I think our societal, our cultural view 
of power and how it works seeps into the ways that power is discussed in this story. And I mean, the thing is, like, we have textual evidence a number of times Buffy says, actually, in the text, it's about power. Mm -hmm. In Checkpoint, we just saw her do this whole run on it's about power. I have it. They don't. Season seven, we start with Buffy saying it's about power. Her final um, speech in season seven is it's about power. Um, And so there's a lot uh, within Buffy that thematically is about power. So interesting to have them textually call that out a number of times. And yet the ways in which they talk about power, I think a lot of times are not consciously or deliberately done. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's a lot of like, you know, the the trope of the strong woman that is a (laughs) woman who kicks ass. Who fights like a man is a strong woman in a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, and there's a lot of that. And I think... It starts out, I think, what starts out as kind of an interesting uh, angle on the helpless blonde girl becomes, Mm -hmm. like, the more you explode that out, the more Mm -hmm. you see the the really... um, I don't know. What do I... How do I want to express... Like, the, the... the framework is the same. Like it yeah. looks like we're subverting something, but really it just fits neatly oh, yeah. into these same gendered boxes about who, not just who gets to be powerful, but like what that mm-hmm. looks like. What it looks well, like yeah. for a strong female character to be strong. Well, see, this is the thing. Strong female characters, strong female characters, the way that everybody's so excited about talking about them in recent years have been women that fight like men. Black Widow in um, in the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a good example of this, where we over highly sexualize them, you know, and we have them fight and they're just as look at them. They can hit just as hard as a boy. And then that's supposed to make them interesting. But it doesn't mean that as characters, they're really fully developed. Now, Buffy, I think, is a very, very deeply developed developed character. Um, And I think there's a lot of interesting things that we're doing with her. Um, But the thing is that like Buffy got so much credit as like such a feminist show because we had a woman who was killing, you know, boy vampires and all this kind of stuff. Um, And I think that honestly, Buffy started out, I mean, this is my theory based on the text itself is that Buffy was never does not feel like it was ever intended to be a highly strongly feminist show. I think it was meant to subvert a trope and it subverted that trope while still kind of adhering to a lot of anti and counter feminist um, ideas, you know, um, that are that are, you know, seated within our society. I'm not saying that everybody who wrote for Buffy was like this, you know, a misogynistic, patriarchal, you know, cheerleader. I'm saying that that we live in a society that very much has a vested interest in maintaining power structures. And we see that in Buffy with with feminism. We see that in Buffy with racism. Uh, we see that in Buffy in a lot of different ways because the hierarchy of power is something that a society our society specifically is very invested in maintaining and so that gets put into our that gets put into us through our stories and then we as writers reflect that back out through our stories we reflect ourselves back at ourselves so i'm not saying that this is something where the writers are such terrible people or joss joss whedon i think was glad to take a lot of the credit for being a super feminist when in reality, I am not certain that that's actually the case. Um, But, but I think that what this, what this story is doing is reflecting us a lot at ourselves. And what does it say about us as opposed to what does it say about the writers? I'm not interested in taking down these writers and saying, you're not feminist enough saying that our society has got a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's always I, I think it's always crucial to look at who is writing mm-hmm. anything that I you're engaging so. with um, and not just whose name you see most often, but like who who else is back there, yeah. you know, working on this thing. And in mainstream media, by and large, um, it's going to be white men. It's going to be white, cis, yes. straight men. Yes. And this is why I mean. This is why storytelling matters. Um, Mm -hmm. This is why it's not enough that we have, you know, Dante, who is a knight of Byzantium, who is a black Mm -hmm. man. Right. Mm -hmm. But who's just like 
a black man to be there. It's like just, he's, a, he's is, a black actor playing the part. He is a black actor. Mm-hmm. And that is all. And we are um, not acknowledging in any way, like, you know, him as an individual or as somebody who deals with racism. We don't see any incidents of racism within the Knights of Byzantium. We're not interested in, in developing yeah. out these characters at all. It's very, it's very box checky. And I think mm-hmm. that um, in mainstream media, a lot of times we see that with you know, not just who's in front of the camera, but who's behind it as well. So yes. it's like, oh, but mm-hmm. oh, but we had a woman in the writer's room. It's like, yeah, OK, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah. You know, and like, right. One woman I mean, and that's the thing. One woman is not going to be for... able to change everything. And one woman yep. is not going to be able to see things from from a lot of perspectives, not to mention the fact that we all have internalized various you know um types of of hatred right you know Mm -hmm. we have like you know people who are queer have internalized queer phobia and people women have internalized misogyny because it comes from the society it comes from who we are you know um so society like embeds this idea in you i mean good god one of the first things those of us who are raised in any kind of religious atmosphere we go to sunday school and what are we taught that eve was tempting Adam. Poor innocent Adam was just sitting there. And then Eve was all like, oh, we got to listen to this serpent. I want an apple, dude. And then like it all (laughs) is about women tempting men from the very beginning, from the time we are children, we are taught about these things, about the ways in which women are awful temptresses and vile. And they, they break down these poor men who cannot help but be tempted by them. Like, there's a lot of that coming at us from the time that we're kids. There's misogyny within, you know, our, our culture. There's huge amounts of racism within our culture. There's huge amounts of ableism and, you know, and transphobia, homophobia, all of these things, right? It's in the water that we swim in every day. And it's hard to recognize and when you take a step back and take a look at it, especially in circumstances like this, where we have this huge meditation on power, where they textually wrote a number of times, it's about power. And yet the ways in which power expresses itself in the Buffyverse, I think is super interesting, incredibly messy, um, and and kind of supportive of traditional like systems, you know, hierarchical uh, systems that we have of, of power in our society. And also raises the question of powerlessness. Who mm-hmm. is, who has no power? Yeah. In this, in this story. I mean, to bring us back to this episode mm-hmm. where we see repeatedly, you know, something happens. Something, something happens with Tara, and we don't yeah. know what. And she starts mm-hmm. to repeat something, or she starts to struggle, or you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And then we'll cut back to the hospital and here are all of these men who have been, you Mm -hmm. know, brain sucked by glory who are all strapped down. And it's this kind of like uniform, Mm -hmm. uniform destabilized masculinity. Mm -hmm. And they are, I mean, they're, they're very, um, the word that's coming to mind is objectified. And I don't, I, I don't think that's mm-hmm. quite right. They are this kind mm-hmm. of scary brainwashed unit. Yeah. And not suddenly not human anymore. Right. Like it's this mm-hmm. it, we are on this psych floor with all of these quote unquote crazy dudes who are mm-hmm. all this like scary army of brainwashed. We don't know what versus mm-hmm. Tara, who is you know, clearly going through it, but is also like being held and being cared yeah. for and is, you know, being like loved through this experience of, mm-hmm. you know, mental illness, essentially. Yeah. And wow, but that's a different take mm-hmm. on powerlessness. Yeah. And the men... The men are frightening, and I think they're frightening even before mm-hmm. we get to this, you know, this like strapped to beds mm-hmm. situation. I mean, the yeah. first people that we see who are Glory's victims are mm-hmm. men, and then how they move through the world once they have been, mm-hmm. you know, drained of their <laughs> ability yeah. to function. They're yeah. scary. Mm-hmm. They're, they are. I mean, they're harbingers of doom, you know, they like mm-hmm. leer at dawn and tell her she doesn't belong. But Tara, yeah. who essentially has given away the whole 
the whole thing yeah. by, you know, mm-hmm. noticing what Dawn is in front of Glory is still like loved and cared for and somehow remains innocent mm-hmm. question mark <laughs> yeah. in all of this. It's an interesting like it's just an interesting mm, division yeah. of powerlessness and like what that looks like. And what mm-hmm. it looks like, yeah. what it means to be, I don't know, incapacitated, destabilized. Mm-hmm. There's not a good word for what I'm trying to say. But, I mean, right. mm-hmm. just contrast contrast, Tara, you know, being spoon fed with mm-hmm. Orlando. Is it Orlando being stabbed in the gut? Stabbed by his, through the heart. Like, what? What? What, what? what the hell is that about? Like, what, what? is like, that? Yeah, I don't I don't even know. If it's know. about power, it's also about powerlessness and, like, who is worthy of... Right. I don't know. It's it's a mess. It's, it's a mess. Right no, that's now. the thing is that nothing is consistent, right? Because then we have Dawn, right? Dawn, who is the key. Dawn, who is apparently so hugely powerful that the most powerful being in the universe glory is chasing her down for her power and yet she cannot access any of it Mm -hmm. she is just a little girl she has this tremendous power within her and it never occurs to anybody including i believe the people writing the show what if dawn was able to access what if dawn actually had control over herself right right but she also has a uterus and we all know what that does <laughs> right um because it makes you unable to control or interact with or you know uh, take over your own physical experience in the world right oh um, shit i just sorry i just had this flash of tara as hysteric and what it mm-hmm. means for a what it means oh. for a woman to be quote unquote crazy as opposed to anyway that's a different that's a whole but that's a for that's a, different a fascinating podcast. right that's a fascinating discussion though too and anybody who is interested just go look up the history of hysteria because goddamn right um yep. it's it's very very interesting and yet dawn who is arguably the most powerful of them all and ancient has absolutely no access to that power at any point in this whole thing um and that i find in a in a, in a story that is ostensibly that that states textually to be about power there are questions about power that it is really not interested in answering and i i just find it so 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 fascinating but i have nothing because you take all the textual evidence and it contradicts itself and it doesn't really land us anywhere that feels complete or or like a a thesis of any kind it really just kind of reflects our own messy relationship with power and you know with who has it and who doesn't and who is allowed to have it and who is not allowed to have it um it's it's just it's so it's so weird but anyway so noel my question for you though is what are you wearing (laughs) i mean gender studies 101 moment not that we kind of haven't already been doing that um i've talked about this a little bit but i just want to bring it up again because i find it fascinating Mm -hmm. ben in Glory's clothes is a joke. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Glory in Ben's clothes is still a viable threat. Mm-hmm. When she, when he, he transforms and then she's standing there in yeah. his, you know, his And she holds and... it up over like burying her belly, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. She's still, but she's still threatening. That doesn't yes. take away, you know, being in quote unquote male clothing Mm -hmm. doesn't take any power from her right and also she's kind of sexy or is that just me like oh no Mm -hmm. it's it's a good it's a good look but yeah i mean i'm not gonna get into a huge discussion of the gendering of clothing because Mm -hmm. that's neither my area of expertise nor is it the focus of this podcast but (laughs) When we talk about fiction and visual media showing us who we are as a culture, this is the kind of tiny detail that I'm talking about. That a man in quote unquote women's clothing is a joke and a Mm -hmm. woman 
yeah. in quote unquote a man's clothing is still like a scary villain and oh shit what are we gonna do yeah i mean if anything i think she's scarier in ben's clothing right you know her clothing is meant to like highlight her femininity which is an undermining of power right what are women wearing women are wearing high-heeled shoes you know what that does that makes you not able to run fast unless you're apparently the flash like glory or whatever <laughs> but like you know women's clothing like i'm always talking about how buffy how is buffy out there fighting vampires in those high-heeled boots my god Right. You know, you got to chase people. You got to run like high heels are not conducive to moving quickly, you know, for most of us. Right. And that's the point. Yes. Like it's not it's that is if you are wearing high heeled shoes, regardless of your gender, Mm -hmm. you are not expecting to be doing anything athletic. When you need to run, you put on sneakers. Right. You know, I mean, like our very least flat boots, you know. Um, So I find that whole thing just fascinating. But Noelle, tell me, what is your favorite part? Oh, gosh. My favorite part of this dreadful, confusing episode. Yes. (laughs) Okay, it's it's the Spike Xander bromance. Oh, I mean, the fact that these two claim to hate each other so Mm -hmm. much or I guess it's. Xander, who claims to hate Spike, but then they have this kind of soldiers in the same army camaraderie. I mean, it really works for me. It's sweet. It also works for my love of screwball comedy. (laughs) You know, the (laughs) idea that if they hate (laughs) each other, they're going to end up together in the end. Yes. Mm -hmm. And despite calling Xander shrimp under his breath, (laughs) it's just (laughs) delightful. Yeah. No, it's kind of sweet. And I do. I love that relationship. I love all of it. And I love the fact that like a couple of weeks ago with the Buffy bot, right? Xander was like, no, I understand. He's well muscled. He's evil. I can understand why you want to sleep with him, right? (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Which I think is very nice. Um, For me, my favorite part of this episode was when Spike was so kind to Tara after she set him on fire. Um, It is such a beautifully human moment expressed through a vampire, which I fucking love. Um, But it speaks to the incredible power of kindness, which after our discussion on power, I think could use a bit of a spotlight. Um, The power of kindness, um, I think, is one of the most powerful things that you can exude, that you can engage in in every day. Um, And it is so incredibly powerful, especially when everybody is in the shit, as we are all right now deeply, deeply in the shit. Um, it's it's a nice way to express your power is through kindness. And I love the fact that Spike does that with his power. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish, and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our August producers. Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers... Who's up for some tasty fried meat products? To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or aim for the horsies. (laughs) We'll be back next time with The Weight of the World, the 21st episode of season five. Until then, at least things can't get any crazier, right? Right.